Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this time of worship that we've had. Father, as we have engaged this time, as we have called upon you, as we have declared your majesty and your glory, Father, may you move among us this morning. As we spend time looking at your word and as we as we encounter the word and as we allow it to penetrate our hearts, Father, may we be people who are different when we leave this place than we were when we came because we met with holy God. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm so grateful to Pastor Scott to give me this opportunity to come and be with you here this morning. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 37. And while you're, while you're moving, while you're finding that passage, let me just share with you a little bit about who I am. As Pastor Scott introduced me as the executive director for the Colorado Baptist General Convention, I've been in that role since December 1st, 2021. It's been an exciting year, a little over a year now spent time traveling across the state, meeting with leaders, pastors, church members, and hearing from them the needs that they have. And, and one of the things that was overwhelmingly clear was a desire to, um, to work together, to have associational leadership in the areas to help them move forward. And so we, we adjusted our mission statement at the Colorado Baptist General Convention just a little bit to say that we exist to accelerate or to, uh, to collaborate with churches and associations for accelerated gospel impact. Because we're here for the gospel. The churches are here to reach people with the gospel. And we understand that Jesus Christ is the one that brings about salvation, but he calls us to be the people that work in partnership with him, to spread the seed and trust him with the results. So that's, that's what we've done. We focused on that. We focused on helping every church in every location, regardless of its size, regardless of its culture, regardless of its language, to understand that we're all Colorado Baptists. That moniker, Colorado Baptist, like I've got on my shirt here, doesn't just mean the convention office. It means you, because we're in partnership together. We are all together working for the glory of the Lord. And I want to I share with you, again, before we get into the text, I want to share with you just a few things that I'm grateful for your partnership with. I know Pastor Scott has been a tremendous partner, not only in this association, but in our state convention. He served on our executive board. He's served in leadership role. I'm grateful for that and for the church and its involvement together. You know, you have 380 sister churches that are all pulling and rowing in the same direction. And because we do that, I want us to get a, a global perspective of that. You realize that because we partner together, we're able to put 3,500 missionary units on the field internationally. And one of the things that Southern Baptists have, have identified and said, we, we're better working together. We're better working together than we are alone. Back in 1925, when the cooperative program was, was uh, created, it was created so that missionaries didn't have to come off the field, raise support to go back on the field. They said, if we work together, we can do more. And this is evidence of that. Because of your partnership, over 800 churches were planted 
by the North American Mission Board. Now, the North American Mission Board doesn't plant churches. Churches plant churches. But the North American Mission Board has been a part of the catalyst to help that happen and support and train church planters once they sense God's call to go and to plant. And you have an equal part in that. You have an equal part to 3,500 missionaries internationally that are reaching people that, that don't speak the same language you speak, that don't live in the same area you live, that don't understand the same culture that you're from, but you have an equal part in reaching those people. Same thing with those church plants, where plants have gone in places that were either underserved or where there was no gospel witness at all. You have a part in that. Majestic Baptist Church has a part in every one of those plants. And then here in Colorado, because of your cooperation, the Colorado Baptist General Convention was able to come alongside and partner with associations. We have 11 associations in this state. Now, I come out of a, an associational background. I, for 10 years, I was on the international mission field in California. That, that'll sink you. And I served in Orange County, California, where Disneyland is, and I worked with 150 churches that represented 51 nationalities and spoke 12 languages. It was, it was where the world was coming. And I saw the value of what associational ministry can do and how, how boots on the ground are better able to equip pastors and churches and strengthen them and encourage them for the gospel work. And we've been able to come alongside 10 of the 11 associations in this state to bring leadership there that is an equal partner with the, the convention and the association together so that what we're doing is creating this, this relationship that for the church, all they see is one effort moving forward, one team going forward. We truly are working in collaboration together. And so I'm grateful for you for all of that. We couldn't do that without you. And, and so thank you so much for that. Well, let's look at our text this morning. And, uh, and we're looking at a familiar passage. In fact, I was sitting here a little bit ago and I saw your banners. Uh, outside of the text, this is what I'm preaching on. It is, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're going to be looking at in the great in the uh, the Good Samaritan. I'm preaching out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, starting at verse 25. So let's follow that. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And he said to him, "What is written in the law, and how does it read to you?" And he answered, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul." with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And he said, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn, to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you.
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said to him, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. You know, the, the focus of the passage that I want us to look at this morning, we're going to walk through the text, really is about how do we relate to the world that we're seeking to reach? How, how can we take the example of Scripture and the teaching of Jesus and apply it, apply it to the world that we're seeking to reach around us? See, I'm so grateful for the partnerships that we have and that we've talked about because it helps us to reach the world. It helps us to reach Colorado and the world for the gospel. But, but it's helpful for us to define and understand the characteristics of the group of people that we're seeking to reach. You know, what does the world look like? It really is very different depending on your context and your setting, but there are some similarities. Similarities in the world today and growing every year, a a new generation is rising up that falls into this category of people who, one, have very little understanding of who Jesus is, and two, don't really have a clue about the church. They don't understand the church's mission. They don't understand the church uh, and its, and its uh, focus and what it's, what it's here to do. Why we gather together on the Lord's day. You know, it means that when we have conversations with people, even here on Sunday morning, we cannot assume anything. Do you realize that there are people living around you that don't even know who Daniel or the story of Daniel and the lion's den. There are people around you who don't have any idea who Noah is and the ark. In fact, children are being raised with the idea that that's some kind of fable or cartoon. That's the cartoonish picture that they have in their mind. In fact, there was an example of this I, I experienced not long before I left California and came here. A pastor in Huntington Beach, California told me that he had a young couple in their 20s that had come to their church a couple of times. And so he reached out to them, wanted to set a meeting so that they could come and get to know who they were. He could visit with them, kind of explain a little bit about the church. And it didn't take very long in his conversation before he realized that they weren't believers. And so he thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a uh, high-level conversation about the the Bible, and then we're going to come to the gospel. And so he said to them, he said, now, you know who Adam and Eve are, right? And the wife, <laughs> the wife said, we're new here and we haven't met them yet. But that's indicative of the world that we're trying to reach. Without even the basic understanding or knowledge of the things that we, we hold dear. My Sunday school teacher in my home church has a son that's 14 years old, and his his uh, son invited one of his buddies over to spend the night on Saturday night. And so our, our teacher looked at the boy that came over and said, hey, would you like to go with us to church tomorrow? And he said the look on the boy's face was one of fear. And his question was, what do you do there? This is the generation of world that we're trying to reach. James Emery White is one of my favorite authors because he he addresses issues of church and culture. As culture changes, he updates how can we how can we look at different things and different ways to reach culture? Because 
the gospel never changes, but our methodologies need to, right? Because the audience that we're seeking to reach changes constantly. And he spoke of a, a young man in his church. He pastors at Mecklenburg Church in North Carolina. And he, he talked about a young man, 16 years old, that came to his office. And his question to his pastor was, what's the deal with the guy on the plus side? Speaking of the crucifix, he, he didn't he didn't know about the cross. He didn't understand why this man was nailed to a plus sign. Further in his book, he talked about the scale of people that we we used to reach. Twenty years ago, when we were when we were reaching people, lost people. If you take a continuum of one to ten, one being someone that's never heard the name of Jesus, and ten being someone who's a new believer, he said we used to be reaching sevens and eights, people who. Grandpa and Grandma might have taken them to church. They had some familiarity with Sunday school. Maybe they didn't participate. They're still lost, but they had some knowledge of that. He said, today we're reaching people that are twos and threes. They don't really have any understanding. And, and a good example of how things have to change as we seek to reach people. Anybody remember the 70s and 80s in church ministry? Do you remember that churches used to go by a school bus? And they would go into underserved area of the community. Now, people that are 30 years old or under, they're gassed at this work. But we'd take a school bus and we'd drive into a community. People had no idea who we were. It had the church's name on the side. And they would give us their kids. They didn't know who we were, but they would give us our, their kids and trust that we would bring them back. And that's how we did ministry. Now, not many churches buy it buying school buses today because you drive into an area and nobody knows you or even has the church's name on it and they, they're really not interested in partying with their kids. But we have to continue to update our approaches. Today is not the same as it was back then, but there's still a need for us, there's still a call for us to go out and intersect lostness. We have still been sent. That hasn't changed. In fact, we see that in both of the the testaments in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 7 it was the Lord who said whom shall I send and who will go for us the great commission in the new testament in Matthew chapter 28 says therefore go and make disciples the idea of leaving the idea of going out to where the world is still exists for us we just have to engage it differently now I didn't tell you a little bit about my my history I was a pastor for 18 senior pastor for 18 years before I became a director of missions before I became an executive director but when I was a pastor one of the things that I longed to do was to help people engage ministry so we used to use language like every member is a minister what I came to understand about that later and how people interpreted that was if I can work in the nursery or I can serve as a deacon, I mean, within the walls of the church, if I could teach a Sunday school class or do something that, that ministered inside the walls, I had an application. I could plug into that. But many people didn't feel that they had that ability or they didn't sense that calling within the walls of the church. And so later, as I began to think about that, I began to come to this conclusion that perhaps a better, a better word for us to use is missionary. Every member is a missionary. When you think about what a missionary does, and we think this uh, internationally, it's, it's simpler for us to think that. 
that we think about someone that grew up in a particular context that leaves that context to go to another context to reach people and tell them about Jesus. That, that's pretty simple for us to see that at the international mission field. But what we miss many times is the fact that we live in a Christian context. We have values and perspectives and, and hold things dear that the world doesn't hold dear. They, they operate from a whole different set of values and perspectives. They live in a separate context from us. And so really what, what we, we need to understand is that we are still missionaries. We live in this Christian context, but we need to step outside of that context to build relationships with people who, who live in a different context. Now, let me tell you something. I, I was... I thoroughly enjoyed the beast feast last night. I mean, I love to hunt and fish, and so that was right up my alley. And I thought that the speaker did an amazing job being very transparent, sharing about the gospel, sharing his own experiences with that. And I think we should do more of those types of things. But if our only approach to reaching lost people is to invite them to come here to a context that they're unfamiliar with, something that's not their context, then Alan Hirsch said in his book, Forgotten Ways, that what the church does then is we ask lost people to be the missionaries. We ask lost people to leave their context and come to our context. And the gospel is so clear that it should be the other way around, that we need to step into their context to build relationships do life together so that we may learn uh, to love them as Jesus loved them. In fact, I, I was so thrilled. I was watching your screen. Um, uh, I wrote this down. Watching your screen here a little bit ago, and it was talking about, um, your, I believe it's your mission, your mission as a church, love like Jesus to lead them like Jesus, to lead them to Jesus. Right? That's what we're talking about. Love them like Jesus did so that you can well, I want us to, to take a look at the parable this morning because I think the parable speaks to us about what it means to serve our way into the lives of those people that we're trying to reach. And, the, and, and so let, let's take a look at this. I want you to look at the text with me. The, the sermon, on, or, excuse me, the parable of the Good Samaritan is so familiar to us, sometimes we have a tendency just to run to the end. I'm going to ask you not to do that. Let's walk through these verses together, and let's perhaps discover some things that maybe we have overlooked or maybe we, we uh, have forgotten. So let's look at the context. The context of the parable begins in verse 25 in this conversation that Jesus has with this scribe or this lawyer. And in verse 25, it says that this certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. So what we understand from this point forward, everything that comes out of the lawyer's mouth is a, an effort to try to trap Jesus, right? He's not interested in the, in the answer to the questions that he asks. What he's interested in is trapping Jesus. And so he asks this question, Teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And in verse 26, Jesus responds to him with two questions. He asks him this, what is written in the law, and how does it read to you? Now, Jesus is the master teacher, right? He could have just come out and said this. But what, what he wanted the man to do is to explore the question that he's just asked, to ask 
two additional questions that will cause this man to, uh, to, to think through what he's asked. And what Jesus is really asking in this is what's written in the law. He's probing the lawyer's interpretation of what's written. In other words, when he asks him what's written in the law, he wants to know what do you think about the law. It's just, this is, do you have right, proper thinking about what the law teaches? The second piece, when he asks him, how does it read to you? Really, he's asking the application question. It is, okay, what what do you understand about the text? And now, what are you doing about the text? What are you doing about what the text says? And so the lawyer responds in verse 27, and he speaks what is the statement of faith for Jews in that day, which is the Shema, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he adds a passage from Leviticus 19, and he says, and your neighbor as yourself. Now I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Verse 28, he says, you have answered correctly. In other words, you think correctly about what God intended the word about what it means to be a child, to love the Lord your God with all you have. Said so the second thing though, Jesus now pushes on his application. Do this and you will live. Put these things into practice and you will live. Now the lawyer finds himself trapped. He tried to trap Jesus, and yet now Jesus has turned the tables on him and has trapped him. So in verse 29, he realizes this, and he says, and who is my neighbor? That's a, are there any lawyers in the room? No. That's a lawyerly question, isn't it? He's, he's looking at, well, define for me the meaning of what this word is. Who is my neighbor? Now let me pose it to you in the context of what we've talked about, this missionary living. And who is the person outside of my context that I should love and care for as I would myself? And Jesus' response to this question that the lawyer asks is actually the parable. The parable is his answer to that question. It starts in verse 30. So let's look at the parable proper. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went off leaving him. Now, people who lived in the region understood that the road that traveled between Jerusalem and Jericho, 15 miles, a difference of an elevation of 3,300 feet, they understood that there were places where robbers would hide to molest or to attack travelers as they were passing by. What's interesting about what Jesus gives in terms of description here is that he is uniquely descript in talking about the condition of the man who fell among the robbers. Look at what he says. They stripped him, they beat him, and they went away leaving him half dead. Let, let me see if I can interpret that. He was naked, and he was bleeding, and he was lying in the road, not moving. Now most of us, if we saw a man laying in the street that was naked and bleeding and not moving, it would get our attention, right? The purpose for Jesus' detail is this. No one could walk past this man and assume he would be okay. The need Jesus wanted to present as so obvious, nobody could miss it. Naked, bleeding, not moving. 
Well, let's look at the response. In verse 31 comes our first traveler by. It says, and by chance a priest was going down on that road. And I want you to notice that in verse 31 it says, and he saw him and passed by on the other side. In other words, it wasn't that he missed him. It wasn't that he was looking the other direction. He saw him, and his reaction was to pass by on the other side. Now, it says also that this man, this priest, was going down the road. Now, sometimes we use the word down kind of flippantly. I'm going down to the store. I'm going down to work. I'm going to the office, whatever. But here is a literal description of the direction this man was headed. He was headed down, which means he was leaving Jerusalem, and he was heading down to Jericho. That's significant. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Verse 32 brings our second traveler, this one a Levite, this one who also served at the temple but had secondary responsibilities at the temple. It says, likewise, a Levite was going that way. Now, it doesn't say he was going down, but the, the, term, the word likewise gives us the indication he was headed in the same direction. And his reaction is the same because verse 32 tells us that he saw him and he passed by on the other side. Now here's why I mentioned the direction of travel as a point for us to consider. If these men were traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, most likely they had completed their service at the temple and were headed home because many of them lived in Jericho. So they had served the Lord, they had served at the temple, both in primary and secondary responsibilities, had been what they understood to have been in the presence of the Lord, serving Him, and they are going home, and the experience that they had in the Lord's presence did not change them at all. Because for both of them, they came and saw Him and did nothing to by on the other side. I mentioned this at one of our churches. Someone came up and said, yeah, but there are uh, there are laws that, that require the priests to be clean. They were completed their role at the temple, and now they were headed home. Whatever regulations would have been in place to serve in the temple would have now been passed. Here's, here's why I think this is important. Imagine that Pastor Scott preaches a message on how we need to love our neighbors, how we need to engage those that are hurting, how we need to engage those that are in need around us. And you sit here in the service, and you amen him when he says those things, and you feel inspired as you leave, and you walk out to the parking lot, and there is a man naked and bleeding and, and half dead, not moving, laying by the driver's side of the car. And you open the car door and you step over that body and you go your way. That would be the experience that happened here. They said, yes, they, they served the Lord. They were to be Israel's representatives of God to the people and yet were doing nothing that God had asked them to do in terms of the interaction or service to the community. So, as this story was being told by Jesus, every time a traveler came by, the hopes of those that were listening were this man's going to be helped. And they were disappointed with the first one, they were disappointed with the second one. And if you've ever heard a, knock, or heard a joke about three people that go somewhere, the punchline's always with the 
third person, right? And here in this lesson, it's the third one that holds the meaning of the text. Now, we know that, that, that Samaritans and Jews did not get along, and most likely because of the location of where this man was that, was, that fell in the robber's hands, he was Jewish. And here comes a Samaritan who disliked the Jews as much as the Jews disliked the Samaritans, and yet the text tells us that he did something different. He, just like the other two, came alongside, in verse 33, came alongside this man, saw him, but his reaction was different. He felt compassion. It's interesting that the Greek term, felt compassion, that's translated there, really means to identify with a person's such situation to such a degree that action is taken for the other person's benefit. He was compelled act. And while Jesus doesn't give us any indication about this man's spiritual condition, he is the hero in the story. He is the man who acted out what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself, because he did something for that man. And he stepped outside of his context, his belief system, his own prejudices touch someone who is in need. In verse 36, Jesus turns his attention back to the lawyer again and he asks him this. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? What was the lawyer going to say? He had, no, he had no other answer than he had offered in verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus revisits his application component and says, go. That's the instruction for the church of today. Go and do the same. Again, we've been sent to go. We've been sent to engage lostness. We've been sent to engage the community around us. And, and today, more than any other time, I think the world needs to see, needs to see what it means that Jesus loves them in the way that we behave, in the way that we interact with lostness as opposed to what we're against. You know, for, for too long, what the world has seen in, in the Christian church, and I, I'm not talking about any specific, I'm just talking in generalities, has been what we're against. Folks, I despise social media. Now, so, some of you are on social media, and that, that's not an application to you, but I lived in California for 16 years, and there were times when there were fires in the state, and people would call me from home here in Colorado, and they would say, uh, there's a fire in California. Are you guys okay? And I would say, there's a fire? California's a big state. But what did the national media do? The national media showed that the, the whole state of California is on fire. Right? That's what it looked like. The whole state's on fire. And it wasn't. And unfortunately, social media has taken, and just a handful of people have taken the negative things that they've experienced in church, and they've made it seem like the whole church is against you. Don't go, don't have anything to do with Christians. They hate you. They're, they're against everything. But that's not true, is it? There are things in, 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 in the church, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, that we have to change and that we have to fix. But does it mean that everything's on fire? No. We just talked about the benefits of what it means to work together, right? So for us, it needs to be 
stepping outside of our comfort zone, stepping outside of our context and reaching people who may not like you very much, but most likely it's because they don't know you. But we need to engage and we need to do life with lost people. And listen, I, I think sometimes we make this harder than it has to be. Building relationships with lost people is, is about finding people that the Lord puts in your path and befriending them. Their politics are going to be different than yours. Their views and values are going to be different than yours. Listen, lost people act like lost people because they're lost people. The change comes from within. It's not, it's not a behavior modification. The change that Christ brings starts from the inside and works its way out. And we need to be people who come alongside. And it's not hard. It's finding a neighbor that's lost. Finding a, a family from your child's school that's lost. A friend of your, your student, your, your child uh, in school. Make friends with the parents. Do things that you would do with your friends. If your friend's, neighbor, if your friend's fence fell down, offer to help your lost neighbor and fix their fence. Right? I mean, it's, it's simple stuff. Because lost people, in many ways, are like us. They have hopes and dreams and hurts and disappointments and things like that. They just don't know Jesus yet. And they're looking for answers. They just don't know where to go. And when Christians come alongside them and love them, and we help them to see, and we're not judgmental people like social media tells them we are. We're people who are just like them. George Barna says that when Christians have been, when we've been Christians for about 10 years or so, that all of our connections are Christian. All of our relationships are Christian. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying we've got to make room for building relationships with the lost people. And it's pretty simple. Just, just love on them like you would love on a friend. And love them like Jesus so that you can Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to talk about this world that you've called us to reach. And how, Lord, we can put into application those things that you have taught us in your word, that we might be those people that touch one life. Just like the, the one seeking our one. That we might touch one life. That we might spend time with them. That we might get to know them. That in an organic setting, the opportunity for them to ask, why do you go to church, will rise for us to share the testimony. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes like you have, that we might serve those who are different than us, 